So I left last Sunday night, and the response, really, frankly, the response to the call to prayer uh, was was overwhelming. It was uh, it was encouraging, and it was quite uh, I wouldn't say shocking because I know we're a church that prays, but it, it just touched a lot of people. Um, and uh, so I'm 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 going to preach on on the power of prayer tonight. And next Sunday night. Uh, we're going to gather in the not in not in here, but in the other building over there, and um, and we're going to practice some uh, some prayer time again. We'll we'll sing some hymns together. Um, I will exhort you on prayer, and then we'll and then we'll go to prayer again. I, I guess I'm teaching you what the Lord uh, has said. No man knows the day or the hour when the Revelation series will start. Okay. But that seems uh, seems wisest uh, uh, to me. Um, I would say that that prayer is is the most powerful weapon available to us that we do not use. Now I don't mean by that we don't pray, but I would say there's there's probably not a person in here who would who would not say that there are far more resources of prayer, far more depth uh, of prayer um, than, than I ever scratched the surface. I mean, there are times whenever whenever I pray, and uh, as they say, it, it, it feels like that you, that you got through. I know there's a danger in that. Our basis for prayer is not our emotions, but Christ. But there are times when, when, when you pray. And there are other times whenever you, you pray out of duty. But I would say there's not a person in here who, who, would, who would not cry out or who would not say in their heart, my prayer life um, is, uh, is, is small compared to the power that, that is there uh, to, to each of us. Um, growing up, my father told me, told me a story about my granddad whenever he was, whenever he was squirrel hunting. He, he had shot a squirrel and... And he arrived at the base of the tree to retrieve his prize, and and whenever he did, the squirrel got up and and ran up the trunk, and it wasn't dead; it was only knocked out uh, from the from the fall. And without thinking, he instinctively took his shotgun and swung it at the squirrel and hit the side of the hit the side of the tree, and it bent the barrel on his gun. My dad told me that story as a kid, you know, to be careful, don't bang the barrel of your gun because obviously it's it's not usable after that. And I started thinking about that story and I would say for 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 many of us or for many Christians we do the same thing with prayer. We have a a gun, but we use it like a club. We have we have the unlimited power of God at our disposal that weapon is 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 so much more powerful than than the way we we wield it. Um, we kind of swing it at our problems rather than rather than load the weapon and then and then unleash its its power. And I want to take you to one of my favorite passages about prayer. Where do you think it is? It's in the book of James. So I want you to open to the book of James, chapter five, and verse thirteen. What is your favorite passage about about prayer? Well, it's kind of hard to attach a favorite passage to any passage in the Bible because it's all God's Word. But, but I love this passage because of what it, 
how it encourages my heart to pray. Because there are many reasons that I don't pray, or I don't, I don't pray as much, or I, I don't pursue prayer to the extent that I should. There are many reasons. And James just really ministers to my heart. And hopefully, he will to, to yours. In chapter 5, James has been describing the regular care for, for our souls through prayer in the, in, in the local church. Um, he, he says here in verse 13, this is the passage about, typically we, we just think about anointing with oil, but, but this is far more than just, just anointing with oil passage. He, he gives four settings here where prayer should reign in the life of a believer. Look if you would at verse 13. He says, that anyone among you suffering, let him pray. He says the first setting where prayer should reign in the life of a believer is, is this petitioning prayer should reign in times of trouble. If anyone among you is suffering, then, then let him pray. That, that should be what our response whenever we, we suffer. It's a different word that he uses later when he says if anyone's sick. Uh, the word for sick is, is you're beyond, you've exhausted your resources. There's nothing else that can be done. He first calls us, if we suffer or we have difficulty, we have trouble, we take that to the Lord in prayer. Our first response whenever we, we come upon a difficulty is not immediately call the pastors and say, hey, pray for me or, or anoint me with oil, right? I mean, the first thing that the Lord tells us to do when we have difficulty is to cry out to Him. So this first setting where prayer should reign in the life of a believer is petitioning prayer should reign in times of trouble. Look at what else he says. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Grateful praise should reign in, in times of strength. Are you cheerful? You're not suffering. Some of you might not be suffering. Some of you might be happy today. You might be cheerful. You might be full of the Spirit. You might be, praise God, I've had a good day. Then let him sing psalms. Let him sing to the Lord. Cheerful, grateful praise should reign in times of strength. In those times, it's not a time to forget the Lord. It's a time to thank the Lord. It's a time to say, God, thank you for feeling good. Thank you for, for, for being cheerful. Because there are plenty of times when you're not cheerful, and I'm not cheerful, because that's ebbs and flows of life. Go what else he says here. Now he says, any among you sick? Is any among you past... Uh, personal help. It's, it's beyond a, a, a normal scenario. Now, obviously, it's not bad to call for prayer, ask for prayer for me or any of your other pastors. It's never bad to have people pray for you. So I don't think this is a restriction or a prohibition not to do that at, at any point that you would desire it. He's just saying, though, that when... You, you must apply it, or when you should be thinking about applying it, is, is whenever there's a need for, for, for prayerful restoration that comes in, in times of, of weakness. This is, you've, you're beyond help. Petitioning prayer reigns in time of trouble. Grateful praise should reign in times of strength. Prayerful restoration should reign in times of weakness. And then, Confession should reign in times of failure. Look at what else he says here. Is any among you sick? 
Here's what he does. Calls for the elders of the church. Let him pray. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, implying confession. So he gives us life in the local church. Life in the local church should involve prayer, praise, restoration, and confession. Normal part of life. That's not what encourages me, although that's encouraging. My encouragement for prayer begins in verse 16. And James is going to continue speaking about prayer, and he's going to provide a vivid illustration, vivid illustration to us about prayer's power and encourage us to practice it. So let's read verses 16 through 18. And we're going to see some things about prayer. He says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, or your Bible may say effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years, three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. There are two two verses here, three verses here. And there are three conduits, we might call them, for potent prayer. I want my prayers to have power. I want them to be potent. Three conduits here for potent prayer. Look at verse 16. He says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. He, he summarizes the instruction on prayer with a command. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now watch what he does here. And why I say this is part of the life of the local church. He starts with individuals in verse 13. Is anyone, anyone, one person among you suffering, let him pray. There's the individual. And then he moves to the elders in the church. Verse 14. Is anyone sick or weak? Let him call for the elders. And now in verse 16 he moves to the entire body. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. See, moves from individual to the shepherds to the whole body. And, and he's saying prayer is powerful in an, individual, in an individual's life. The body is there for, for your mutual help. And we live out our Christian life dependent upon God, dependent upon our shepherds, and, and dependent upon His people. You should be able to call on all three at any point in time. And I find it's interesting that he does that. And in, in, in view of this promise and power of, of intercessory prayer, he, he appeals to, to, to something wider than just, than just healing or for individuals or, or, for, or for pastors. In verse 16, this confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another, it, 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 there are two imperatives, commands. It means to make a general habit of confessing. Make it a general habit of praying. Make it a general habit of confessing your trespasses to one another. I would say that we don't obey that command very well, do we? We don't want anybody to know what our trespasses are. 
We don't want anyone to know. Sometimes we won't even let God know, even though He knows. Make a general habit of confessing to one another. Why don't we like to confess to one another? All this has to do with prayer, and I'll show you how in a minute. We don't like to confess because we're proud. We really don't. We, we, we don't like to confess because we're proud, and I would say that that affects our praying. People who are confessing people are humble people, and people who are humble people are praying people, right? Make it a general habit of confessing and a general habit of, of praying. Therefore, you all confess your sins to one another. You all pray for, for one another. I would say that if I give an honest evaluation of, of my prayers, my prayers start, obviously, with the Lord and, and, and His goodness and the things that I know. And, and then, and then they, they widen to a scope of, of, of maybe my own, my own heart, my own family, and then they widen to a scope of what's going on in my life. I mean, that's what's easy to pray for, what's, what's right in front of your face. And I know my heart. And I may know the things going on in my in my family, and and then there are the things that I've got, you know, the to do list this week, the the meetings that I'm going to have, the person I'm I'm, I'm discipling, or or whatever it might be. I have to be intentional to go beyond that. I have to be intentional to go beyond that 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 scope and that circle. And James is encouraging us to go beyond that. And you know how he encourages us to do that. He says, make it a general habit of confessing for, to one another and make it a general habit of praying for one another. What will, what will cause you to move beyond yourself, your, your family, and then, and then what's going on in your regular life? Well, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this, or pray for me for that, or they're confessing a sin or a trespass to you, does that not motivate you to pray for them? Sure it does. <laughs> Because they have to humble themselves to do that. And you may find that you desire to humble yourself right back. So James is setting all this up. I don't think James is saying we, we're, we have a circle time where, where we tell all the filth that comes into our minds and, and somehow that will help us. He's, he's not, you know, saying that. He's saying part of life of committed church membership is to be so close with, with a group of people that you covenanted, that you covenanted with that you pray for one another because because prayer is is potent. Now I get the proposition and everything that comes from it from this beautiful illustration that I've I've always remembered since I read it that that was from was from Piper talking about prayer and I've quoted it to you before you may have read it before prayer is like holding up a limp wire to the lightning bolt of heaven prayer is like a limp wire being held up to the lightning bolt of, of, of heaven. Now, when I was a kid, we used to, uh, we, we had all kinds of, of, uh, of, of wires. I used to enjoy putting radios in vehicles and, and just enjoy things. And so I just, I picture this yellow wire or this, this red hot wire. And, and I'm, I'm just, I mean, it, it's just this little skinny thing, and I'm holding it up, and I'm just picturing that touching a lightning bolt of, of heaven, imagining that that's what prayer is, a petition. He's holding that up to the Lord. It's not my prayer that has the power. It's the lightning bolt that has the power. But the prayer has to be offered up, has to be lifted up to the Lord 
in order for the electricity of God to, to flow through it. So that's where I get this, this idea of potent prayer, these channels. Well, let me give you the first one. It's not just for elders, but for all believers. Potent prayer travels through, through godly people. Potent prayer travels through godly people. You know the verse well. After he says, make it a general practice of confessing your trespasses to one another and praying for one another, that you may be healed. Uh, he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, be careful here. Because the verse, the focus of the verse, is not your fervency or your godliness or your great ability of prayer that, that will accomplish the work. In the original language, James begins the sentence with what he wants to emphasize. And he says, much power or very strong is the supplication of a righteous man. That's, that's what he's saying. It's like putting that in bold. If you want to emphasize something in the Greek, you put it in the emphatic position. You pull it to the, pull it to the front of the sentence. And, and prayer's ability to avail much avails much the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. If you want to emphasize, you put it in the emphatic position. That makes it the focus of the sentence. And he's saying that as an encouragement to use it. Now, I don't know about you. I understand that, that we're to be faithful regardless of the, of the results. But I'm like you. I like to see results. <laughs> you know, I have to guard myself not to be pragmatic. You know, if it's not working, I, I need to, you know, to try to do something else. Well, maybe I do, but I better check the Word of God to make sure it's not something I'm commanded to do regardless of where there is, there is, is result. But here, James puts this, this avails much. Much power, very strong is, is, is this prayer, the supplication of a righteous man to encourage you. It brings results. He's, he's saying, hey, listen, you should pray because it can accomplish much. It's an encouragement to me. I'm sure you, like me, have prayed for the same thing, for the same person, or the same sin, or the same situation, for a long period of time without deliverance, without salvation, without whatever. Um, and the temptation is to give up, to not to persevere, because... Because it doesn't seem like anything is anything is is happening. And James is saying, "Hey, listen, you you should pray because it it can accomplish much." Two men were walking together. The first challenged the other. If you're so religious, let me hear you quote the Lord's prayer. I bet ten dollars you can't. And the second responded, "All right." You're ready to lose your money. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And when he got done, the first pulled out his wallet, fished out the $10 and muttered, I didn't think he could do it. Huh? Now if you pray like that, you're probably not going to get much, okay? <laughs> James is going to instruct us how to pray and, and what to pray but he uses this word here for, for prayer, the, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
the word for prayer here is, is different from the one he uses in verse 13. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. He uses a different word here. It means a petition, a request for what is, for what is desired. It's, you remember back in James chapter 1 where, where James is talking about trials and he says, if any man lacks wisdom in applying the Word of God, we can ask. Um, you remember how he encourages us by, by highlighting the character of, of God there? Um, he, he says, if any man lacks wisdom, literally ask the, let him ask the giving God. Um, it's a wonderful way to describe the Lord. Is your God stingy? It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a giver. And He is he's gracious and, and merciful. And James does the same thing here. He's saying, do you have something you need or desire? A godly man's petition is powerful. Much it avails. A petition is not just a need, but it's, it's a general desire that's asked for. I'll have to, I'll have to uh, confess that, that in those prayers that, that I've been praying for a long time or for that person that I've been praying for a long time, um, the, the temptation not only is to not give up, but the temptation also is to, is to cease expecting an answer. So you, you may be faithful in your duty to continue to pray, but it's, it's just more duty. You don't expect it. You may pray... With, with anticipation, God's going to do something, God's going to do something, God's going to answer in your timing, in your time frame, and, and, and for the first few weeks or a month or however long it is, you're, you approach God with expectancy. But then after a period of time, it, it doesn't happen, and, and so the temptation is to stop praying. The other temptation is to, I know I should pray. I mean, God says He's going to answer, and just because He doesn't answer doesn't mean I should quit, but, but you stop expecting Expecting the prayer to accomplish great things. I think Luther gives a really helpful picture about the attitude that we, we, should, we should have in prayer. When Luther's puppy happened to be at the table, down beside his table, we used to have a little dachshund when I was growing up, and it would come and, you know, it would set itself up, you know, balance itself. Big long thing at the table, you know, and would sit there and whatever you'd throw to it, it would it would gobble up. And Luther has a puppy. He looked for a morsel from his master, and he he watched with open mouth and motionless eyes. And Luther said, "Oh, if I could only pray the way this dog watches for the meat." All of his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, wish, or hope. Oh, that I could pray the way this dog watches for meat. The dog expected to get something. He wanted something from his master. And he also knew what he would get was good, didn't he? James identifies the one who offers the prayer as a righteous man or a godly woman, for sure. He emphasizes prayer avails much. So you make these general desires, but that righteous man is nothing more than a believer. He, 
a righteous man here is the man whose who's living faith is bearing fruit in practical righteousness. He's, he's simply saying a believer. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that you can live like the devil and be a profligate and all those other things, and God is not going to, it's not going to discipline you. You may go to the Lord in prayer in that condition, and He's going to answer, but He's going to answer with, with, with discipline. But the emphasis here is just simply a believer. And you say, prove it, okay? Look at verse 17, because here is the second. Potent prayer comes from ordinary people. Potent prayer travels through godly people. Potent prayer comes from ordinary people. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You see that? And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Prayer is powerful. Much it accomplishes. But our human frailty does not hinder it from accomplishing its work. James now illustrates the power of prayer by referring us back to Elijah. This is the fourth reference in the book of James to an Old Testament character. I mean, he's already talked about Abraham. He's talked about Rahab. He's talked about Job. And now he's talking about Elijah. James knew his Old Testament. And each time that James refers to an Old Testament, saying he does so with a purpose. And so I'm anticipating a purpose here, as you should. Abraham was the father of faith, yet it was proved by his fruit. Rahab was an ungodly woman, justified by faith, proved through her works. Job was an illustration of perseverance. And now he illustrates the power of prayer through Elijah. And look how he begins. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, the word that he uses here for man is not male, but human being. Elijah was a human being with a nature like, like ours. I don't know what you think about whenever you think about the thunderous prophet of Elijah. You think of the prophets of Baal. But James doesn't want you to forget that Elijah was a man, and a sinful man, and an ordinary man, and a man with a nature like your nature. He doesn't want you to forget the time that Elijah got depressed. He doesn't want you to... Uh, he wants you to remember the time when he was afraid of Jezebel. He doesn't even call him the prophet Elijah, does he? He just says Elijah was a man. <laughs> he was a human being with a nature like ours. Why do you think he does that? He's emphasizing something. There's, there's no person other than Abraham or Moses that carried more weight relating to divine power and expectancy than Elijah. I mean, Elijah to the Jew was the one who was going to announce the Messiah. Malachi 4, 5. And yet James humanizes him. He, he's a man with a frame like yours, is what he said. Now, this is why this encourages my soul, because prayer is what is availing, availing much. For me, as a believer in the... In the and the reference that he says is, is this potent prayer is going to come through a normal person, not super Christian. That's the kind of person's prayer that God answers. There's the weak wire. The power of prayer travels through, does not hinder the lightning bolt's ability to work. Prayer's power is not dependent upon your strength but upon God's strength. 
Look at the rest of the verse. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. He, he duplicates the root here to, to show force. He prayed earnestly. With prayer he prayed is what it literally says. He, it's like saying he prayed and praying is what he did. You say, okay, there's the catch. Elijah was a normal guy, but he prayed with great conviction and earnestness. And I, I just don't seem to be able to do that. That's why God won't answer my prayers. Why it's not powerful and potent in, in, in my life, and that's not the point either. In fact, it's something altogether different. Let me give you the third one and show you that. Potent prayer is transmitted through word-informed people. Through word-informed people. I chose those words carefully because it's directly from the text. They're conduits for potent prayer. It travels through godly people. Prayer is the power. It comes through ordinary people. And it's transmitted through, through word-informed people. Look at what he says here in verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man of the nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. He states, Elijah initiated the drought with prayer, and he ended the drought with prayer. So Elijah must have been a man of great faith, and God must have honored his great faith and stopped up the heavens, right? Well, James has referred us to an Old Testament story for a reason, so let's go look at it. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings 17. Let's look at this specific passage and find out what God says about, about Elijah. 1 Kings 17.1. Now, we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but... But I want to point out to you that James, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records a prayer that 1 Kings does not. James also records the length of time that it stopped raining. He says three and a half years. Jesus also confirms that, uses the same figure in Luke 4.25. But 1 Kings does tell us why Elijah prayed for it to rain and for it not to rain, and why Elijah prayed for it to rain again. Did he have some kind of divine wisdom that you and I don't have? Could he have prayed so fervently that, that, that he could suspend the laws of nature? Did God just... Is the, is the point that James is making here is that you need to be a person like Elijah before God will really answer your prayers and the rest of us are just, are just hopeless? Elijah prayed for it not to rain, not because he was a super-Christian, but because God told him to. Look at verse 5. Here's Elijah the Tishbite in verse 1, And the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, get up and go eastward. Look at verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Look at verse 8. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, there which belongs to Sidon, and, and dwell there. Verse 9, See, I have commanded you, a widow there, to provide for you. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. It came to pass, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. James says, Elijah prayed, and the rain came. Look at verse 36 of chapter 18. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Ashton, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant. And catch this, and I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. This is the prophets of, of Baal, right in the middle of the, of the drought. Here's the reason for the drought, and it's the key to the power of Elijah's prayer. He says... It was so that all would know that there was a God in Israel. There's an echo from Exodus, isn't it? That's why he's going to do what he's going to do with Pharaoh and the rest. But the key is, I've done all these things at your word. You see, Baal was the rain and the fertility God. And, and God told his prophet he would stop the rain. And, and the way that he would stop it was through Elijah's prayer. And, and so people would know that Elijah spoke on behalf of God. You know what the secret to prayer is? It's not fervency. It's not emotions. It's aligning your prayers with the Word of the living God. That's exactly what the power of prayer is. Prayer travels the course of Word-informed people. You want to find the power of prayer? Know the Word. And you will pray with power. This is what faith is. Faith is not putting your prayer helmet on and getting really psyched up and being very sincere. Every radical Muslim out there that's killing people for 70 virgins or whatever is extremely sincere. Sincerity is a good thing. Faith is your believing response to a promise that God has made. It's your believing response to a promise that God has made. And you respond in prayer, and you pray those promises in prayer. God told Elijah what to do, and Elijah believed him. He was like Abraham. Abraham was a man just like you are. Elijah was a man just like you are, with a frame, with a nature, just like you have. And yet Romans tells us that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God promised He was able to deliver. Are you fully persuaded that what God promised He's able to deliver? That's faith. And the only difference between you and Elijah is you won't hear a voice from heaven. <laughs> if you do, don't come see me. Go see your psychiatrist or the doctor or whoever, all right? 
He did it. You don't need to hear a voice because you have the Word. You know, Elijah had it harder than we do. Elijah had to hear God speak, discern that it was God, and then he had to respond to it. We're not told to hear God speak. We're told to look to the Word because God's already spoken and it's right here in black and white. And you can interpret it and read it and you know exactly what God has said. Prayer, prayer's channel. Prayer runs in. Power of prayer. That limp wire that, that you hold up is not our whims or passions. The wiring diagram of prayer is already ordered by the Word of God. Prayer is the means by which God accomplishes His will. It's not the means by which we accomplish our will. (laughs) He allows us the blessed privilege to participate and encourages us. Oh, prayer avails much. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, it avails. It avails much. So do it. Prayer is accomplished through through ordinary people. Don't think that you have to rise to some greater spiritual level before God will ever hear you, ever use you. He wants to hear from you right now. And prayer is potent. Prayer that is potent is, is always in accordance with the Word of God. How powerful is it? I found a quote by Thomas Watson about Peter being in prison. Thomas Watson said, The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I like that. Well, here's how I want to end tonight. I want us to end with prayer. It's ten minutes after seven. And um, I want you to do some... Some confessing and praying. I want you to talk to the Lord. And whenever you're done, you can leave and you can hang around and fellowship. Whether you do it individually or whether you do it with your spouse or your friend or whoever. I want you to pray. Um, when I have the guys put the, the, uh, the sermon points uh, up on the screen. And if, if your prayer life is lacking, if, if, if you're faltering in any of those, any of those things, you, you want to give up, uh, or you're doing it out of duty and there's a lack of expectancy, or you've fallen prey to the idea that, that God's not going to hear you because of X, Y, and Z, because you know, you're not doing this or that, um, I want you to be reminded and confess those things to the Lord and ask Him, to uh, to encourage you in prayer. Um, if you're done with that, then, then pray something to the Lord that you know from the Word. Um, I use the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, not now I lay me down to sleep. But I don't use it as some recipe. There's principles there. Um is principles about about what I want God to do in 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 my life. Um, I can call him Father because of Jesus, our Father which art in heaven. Oh God, you know, hallowed 
holy, reverent is your name. Your, your name is above every name. Um, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I, I want to see your kingdom reign on, on the earth. And, 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 and you're, you're perfectly obeyed in heaven. I want to see you perfectly obeyed on the earth. And, and the only way that that's going to take place is, is, is if the gospel penetrates hearts and changes people. And it's changed my heart. So, so I want your kingdom to reign in my heart. Just as heaven obeys your voice like that, I want my heart to obey your voice like that. And then you can move through the rest of the, rest of the prayer. Go study it. Powerful. Um, it really is. I ask God to um, remove the consequences, forgo the consequences uh, of my failures, my trespasses, as I do the same thing for others. God, keep me from being overwhelmed by temptation. Temptation is going to come, but but Lord, keep me from being overwhelmed by it. I know it's going to come. I want to have victory over it. I don't want to fall. Preserve me from the evil one. The evil one seeks my soul, the soul of my family, the soul of the other pastors, the leaders in the church, church members. As Mike prayed, come to steal and kill and destroy. Um, And then I praise him. You're God. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And I say amen to that.